Okay, Isaiah 38. Let's turn there. And read the first three verses. We're going to read that and then we're going to pray. Isaiah 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your word. We do ask that you would bless and anoint us now. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us, Lord, not only to understand this chapter, but help us to understand the words in this chapter, the meaning of this chapter, as it not only applies to the historical aspects that we study, and even, Lord God, to the nationalistic aspects of of Israel and Judah, but, Lord, more importantly, that we study very sincerely and and receive from you very clearly the spiritual applications of these things we desire lord god to walk in your ways we know that we can only do that by the blessing and the anointing and the filling of your holy spirit and the wisdom and the light that comes from your word and we pray father you'll allow us that opportunity tonight to grow and continue to grow in your grace and knowledge in jesus name Amen. You might wonder sometimes why so much is made in the media about the president or the vice president or any head of state or high government official for that matter uh, going to their annual medical checkup or even more seriously becoming ill or, or being injured in some unexpected event. The fact of the matter is that when a president or head of state or a prime minister of a country falls ill or is hurt in some way, it affects everything in that country. From the stock market to the news coverage, everything is affected. And that's why when you, you know, you turn on the news and all of a sudden you see the president or the vice president coming out of the, out of a hospital or out of a doctor's office, you know, it's big news. It's important. They don't do it for us, but that's okay. We don't want that to happen. But what's worse is when this is happening while the country is in the midst of war or even an impending attack from another nation. And you can imagine what it was like. I don't think anybody here is is old enough to remember back in World War II uh, during the crises of, of of President Roosevelt and of course his dying in office during that great war and then of course President Truman coming in and taking his place. Big stuff. Eventually because it was Truman who would allow the usage of the atomic bomb. Well, that's history for us. But it was an important thing. You see, this was the case with Judah. 
This is how they would have reacted in hearing that their king was going to die while Assyria was on the march toward them. And if their godly leader, King Hezekiah, died, who would then lead and govern them? There was one other problem that they had to consider. If Hezekiah didn't have a son, which he didn't at this particular point in time, and therefore would have to appoint, would have, to appoint a, a near relative to take the throne of David, would the promise of God fail? God has made a promise. 2 Samuel 7.16 says, Your house and your kingdom, speaking to David himself, says, Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And if Hezekiah does not have a son, will God's promise fail? And I believe there's a lot of people that would like to believe that somewhere down the line God has failed. That God has not been honest or God has not been truthful or God has not been faithful in the things that He has has said or written or given to us in His Word. We as believers in Jesus Christ, we as Christians, know that God's Word is true. The more we study it, the more we realize how true it is and how how much it, uh, every book, every chapter complements all the rest. And if we do a proper and uh, an exegetical study of, of the Word of God, you realize that the, the, the Scriptures never contradict themselves. Because God does not contradict Himself. And God is always faithful to keep His promises. God has never failed to keep those promises. The things that God has said and God has written thousands of years ago that are pointing to a time that is yet to come and we're living in a, in, a, in, a, in a time where we're beginning to see a lot of that take place and a lot of that's falling into place for the end times as we believe we're living in today. is again more solid proof and solid evidence that God is faithful to His Word. The events that are found here in chapters 38 and 39 They they took place before the Assyrian invasion, as verse 6 seems to imply here. If you look at verse 6 for just a moment, it says, I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend the city. So, once again, you know, we we find that uh, some of the scriptures here are not in chronological order, as we have already seen in in chapters 36 and 37. The invasion had come, and and they came upon Jerusalem, but uh, the Lord kill those 185,000 Assyrians in one day. That has already taken place. But now, we'll go back in time just a little bit. And there's a, there's a good reason why 38 and 39, chapters 38 and 39, are where they are. Because in effect, they become a transitional passage here, going from what has been given already in the earlier chapters of Isaiah concerning Assyria, And these particular chapters, as we'll see next time in chapter 39, are leading to more of a a focus upon Babylon. So before was Assyria. Now we're going to later on focus on Babylon. We'll deal with that next time. But again, we're we're coming to this this place in, in, in this particular prophecy of Isaiah to realize that God's word is true. That God's word is right. That it is historically accurate. It is scripturally accurate. It is biblically accurate. It it, it is accurate in everything that it says. 
And a time frame is given to us. Again, it is given to us based upon what happens right before the invasion of the Assyrians upon Jerusalem. Sometime before 701 B.C. when when the invasion itself took place. The time frame is, is well set. And you may want to read the accounts of this chapter as well as in 2 Kings chapter 20 verses 1 through 11 because those particular 11, 11 verses, 2 Kings chapter 20, we'll refer to a couple of those verses tonight. Really, is, is you, you, when you read them together, you, you see that uh, they are uh, dealing with the same issues. But we're here in Isaiah 38 and verse 1, and it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now can you imagine the Lord coming to you through a prophet and saying to you, set your house in order, you're going to die. That's pretty heavy. I'm reminded of a story that uh, Pastor Joe Rosales uh, really did happen. He went to go visit somebody in the hospital. He used to be our, our Spanish pastor here. And, uh, you know, he went to go visit somebody in the hospital. And, and uh, you know, he went in and he was, you know, I think he mentioned he was thinking in English, but he was going to, you know, uh, give some words to this man that was dying in the hospital. I believe he was dying. And in Spanish he tells him, are you ready to meet your maker? And the guy started going, ah! And, and, you know, when, when that happened, I mean, can you imagine some of you're, 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 are you ready to meet your maker? That's how he said it. You know, it's just, and he goes, <gasps> the man started breathing deep and, I th- and Joe thought he was going to die right there in the, on the bed. I mean, you know, if something comes to you and it, and it says, hey, you're going to die, are you ready? You better set your house in order. What are you going to do? Now, we're not told how Hezekiah took ill. But we do know that he was relatively young. At this time, he was about 39 years old. And God sends Isaiah to tell him, set your house in order. For you shall die and not live. Understand that this is somewhat of a judgment as well. We go back, we think about the... Uh, alliance that he wants to make with Egypt. You think about how he opens up the treasury to Assyria to try to, you know, get them off his back. A judgment comes. We oftentimes think if God is going to say, hey, you're going to die, you better set your house in order. Has somewhat to do with judgment here. But he's 39 years old. That's not very old, is it? Long life was one of the promises given to obedient Israelites. You shall have long life if you obey God. You shall have long life. So the announcement that he was to die before he was 40 seemed to Hezekiah like God's displeasure. And notice, if you will, what, what, I, what Hezekiah does as he receives this message from the prophet. We're told in verse 2 that Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall. Now other people in the scriptures have turned their face toward the wall. But not to pray to the Lord. Hezekiah does. 
Hezekiah turns himself to the wall and he begins to pray to the Lord. There's some sense of understanding that this, this, this prayer was not for anybody else in that room. This was between him and God. And he goes to the Lord and he prays to him and he says, Remember now, O Lord, verse 3, oh, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. There's some sense that he's saying to him, Lord God, have mercy upon me. Remember what I've done for you. He weeps bitterly. Who would not weep at the age of 39 when God says, set your house in order, you shall die and not live? Now, there would be those who criticize Hezekiah for weeping and for, for praying and saying that it was, it was a selfish prayer. How selfish this Hezekiah should, you know, could be here. But, but I'm sure that most of us would have prayed the same way. I know many times we pray for others. We don't want them to die. Seventeen years ago when my brother was taken into the hospital, at the age of 46, up to that point in excellent health, and I'm told by the doctors he's going to die. Am I not going to pray, God? Don't let him die. So, how can we criticize Hezekiah at this point? And as believers in Jesus Christ, even if we receive that particular message, don't we want to live and continue to serve God? I may be getting somewhat personal here. But we would want to continue to serve God all the days of our lives. If God chooses to cut it short or tell us in that way, it's a shocker because somewhere down the line we say, Lord, I'll serve you, I'll serve you until the day you take me home. But it's when God says, I'm taking you now. And he says it to you right in your face. You're not ready for that shock. But there was another reason for his praying and his weeping. Hezekiah, and you, and, and you have to understand, this is a tremendous reason. Hezekiah was burdened for the future of the throne and the nation. He was upset that he didn't, uh, he, he didn't yet have an heir to his throne. And now God is saying to him, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Can you imagine here, we're coming so close to Father's Day. And, and, and you know, here's, here's, a, here's a man in a, in a culture and in a, in a race, in a society, and certainly in a, in, a, in a religious system, upon which people are saying, you know, you are to bring forth a son and your son is to take your name and it is your firstborn that is, you know, going to, especially in the royal leadership of, of Israel or Judah, and, and, and you have no heir. And certainly the weight of that particular thought upon you in that culture and in that time and society is to say, boy, what a failure I am. So you see all these little implications here. 
And Hezekiah didn't ask the Lord to spare him just because he had been a faithful servant. Even though that's what we see him in essence saying. He's not, he's not just asking the Lord to spare him. You know, that would be an understated type of bribery anyway, right? God, don't you know how good I am? I mean, you, you should look at what the, look at my track record. Look at, look at my resume here. The things I've done for you. The things I'm doing for you. Hey, wait, come on, Lord. But instead, he asked God to spare him so that he could continue to serve and accomplish the spiritual restoration of the nation. This is something that we see in the life of Hezekiah, and we have seen already up to this point. Who would not want to complete that time and to have that heir to continue that work on? And while he may have been concerned about his own life, as any one of us would be, he was also burdened for his people. He was burdened for his people. He was burdened for the people of Judah. He was burdened for the people of Jerusalem. He was really burdened for all of God's people. Israel and Judah. Though he was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. He was burdened for his people. You know, that should be the main reason anyone would want to serve in the church of Jesus Christ. That should be the very main reason why we should serve in the church. It is not to serve so that we could get any acclaim, so that we could get some kind of, some kind of applause or some kind of praise or, or, or to show off some sort of a gift or talent or, or whatever. It isn't for that. It is for others. It is to serve God first and foremost and then that others would come to know the greatness of God, the mercies of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. There's problems when men try to promote themselves within the church. Or try to find some place where they can have some pulpit, as it were. But unless we count the cost, and I believe if we look at Hezekiah, certainly here was one who came into this position because of his being the son of, of, of a previous king. But he grows up to be a man that is following the Lord, a man that loves God, that wants to serve God, you see. And so, just so the very, from the very fact that he was a good king means that he was good toward God and he was good toward his people. When you come to the church and you begin to look at the lives of the apostles, when, when, when they did what they did, they did it only because God had anointed them, blessed them, and put them in that position and that place. And, and, and you know, the, the moment that, that persecution would start coming upon the church, they didn't say, you know what, I didn't get into this you know, church for this reason. I didn't, you know, hey, listen, you want persecution, give that to somebody else. I came for the acclaim. That wasn't the apostles. You want to listen to the apostle Paul for just a moment and his care for the people. How many of us would be ready to take on this list for ourselves just to say, I'm serving the Lord all the way. All the way through, no matter what's going to take place, no matter what's going to happen. Second Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, Paul says, Are they ministers of Christ? He's speaking of 
what some have called the super apostles that weren't, and he wasn't talking about Peter and, and James and John and all the rest. He was talking about false apostles, people who were putting themselves in particular positions for their uh, acclaim, for, their, uh, for the applause of men. He says, are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Do the math. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among uh, uh, false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily. You see, here's the list, but then what comes upon me every day he says, my deep concern for all the churches. That is the heart of a servant of Jesus Christ. My deep concern for the church. Not for what I can get out of it. Not for what, I, what applause I can receive of men. But the concern for the churches. For the concern for the body of Christ. The concern for the body. How much greater, if, if, in a sense, is there that, that, that concern for a nation like Israel or Judah? That was Hezekiah, you see. And now in verse 4 of our text, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I find it important to, to mention that he would, would say this. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. Why? Because the Lord has promised the line would continue from David to the Messiah. The word of the Lord came, uh, I should say, uh, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. Almost sounds like a poem, doesn't it? I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. And so, again... This is before the invasion. And this is the sign to you from the Lord. That the Lord will do this thing which He has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial, which has gone down with the sun, on the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. A sign. God gives a sign. Going against nature or science as it were. 
You know, if God wanted to, he could do that. And we see that, that, that God is, is granting the request of Hezekiah right away. This is an immediate granting. Go, go to Second Kings chapter 20. This is the comparable passage of this chapter 38. Second Kings chapter 20. Notice how quickly God answers the request of Hezekiah. Verse 4, it says, And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David. So God still considers his people, and he considers the name and the person and the work of David, his servant, unto the bringing forth of, of Messiah. But the prophet Isaiah himself would even become the king's doctor as well, as we'll see later in, in verse 21 of our text. But also here in the next verse in Second Kings, in verse 7, it says, And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, so they took, laid it, uh, they took and laid it on the boil of, of, of Hezekiah, and he recovered. So that's that just an added thing. We're going to look at that a little later. And really not a whole lot, because it really doesn't tell us a whole lot of what, what he had, other than he had this, this boil, and from whatever condition that caused this, he was going to die. So God is fulfilling really a couple of promises here. But, but now there would have been those who would ask this question. Since Hezekiah recovered... Was God's word, and the word was, you shall die and not live, was God's word proved to be false? If God says, you shall die and not live, and now he's not dying, does that prove his word to be false? Well, the answer, of course, is no. You know why? Because Hezekiah will die. Not, uh, just not as soon as God first announced but there's another reason why this is, uh, this is important for us to understand here. It is important to remember that when the Lord announces judgment, as I mentioned before, it is almost always an invitation to repent and to receive mercy. There is always going to be that opportunity, that opportunity to repent, that opportunity to receive mercy. And, and, I, and I have to tell you this, that... that uh, as the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, as the word of God is taught, as it, and it is given forth, you know, to the church and, and to those who come that aren't really a part of the church yet or haven't come to Christ yet. And, and certainly we want them to hear the word of God. We want them to know the love of Jesus Christ. We want them to be strengthened by, by, by the Lord and saved by the Lord and, and all. But when that comes, sometimes we're saying, listen... We, we want to save you from eternal damnation, eternal destruction, eternal uh, separation from God. In essence, it's, it's a warning. In essence, it's saying to them, listen, you need to get yourself right with God so that you can live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He died for your sins on the cross. He died and shed His blood for your forgiveness. You need to believe in that. You need to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 
And the people hear that and respond. Praise the Lord. They're saved. They're, be, they, they're born again of the Spirit of God. They, they begin a new life in Jesus Christ. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But those who hear it and don't do anything about it, or maybe they scoff at it, or maybe they say, I don't need it right now. I'll come to the Lord later, or whatever, and something happens to them. What do we have to say about that? What do we have to say about that? I'm saddened when I, when I think of uh, a testimony uh, given through the Shield of Badge program that we participate with and praying for officers, uh, law enforcement officers and Border Patrol and uh, uh, Fire Department and uh, first responders of many kinds, uh, you know, that uh, the ministry is growing, by the way, and we need more prayer counselors for that, but... But uh, when I think about uh, how oftentimes uh, our representatives of Shield of Badge, Ruth Miller and others, have gone into uh, academies, you know, the, the academy, the police academy, the sheriff's academy, the fire academy, and they let people know, you know, that, that somebody will be praying for you every day. And if somebody says, oh, I don't need that, there have been a testimony after testimony, some of them tragic. A person said, you know, I don't need that. A rookie, not long ago, I won't mention the name, but you know the name. And didn't need it, but three months later was dead. So, you know, I'm not saying that that's going to happen all the time. It doesn't. But the fact of the matter is, when God is speaking, sometimes, you know, uh, speaks in so many different ways, we ought to listen. We ought to listen. God knows. We don't know where we're going to be when we leave these doors here tonight. We don't know what's going to happen to us. We need to be right with God. We need to be ready. If God were to ever say, set your house in order. You know what he's doing? He's setting that, or he's saying that to us every day. Set your house in order. I'm coming again. Set your house, set your life, set your family, set your things in order because I'm coming. Be ready for me. How many of us are really doing that on a daily basis? The Lord said to Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer. Don't you think that prayer matters? Do you believe that prayer matters? I hope you do. Because here the Lord says, I have heard your prayer. Prayer matters, folks. We need to be praying. We need to be people of prayer. Man, you need to be men of prayer. You're responsible for your families. Be men of prayer. Pray for them. It sure does matter for every one of us. Ladies, I know you pray. (laughs) But maybe you don't pray enough. You need to pray. You know what is amazing is that God grants Hezekiah two gifts. He says, I've heard your prayer. And he gives them two gifts. First of all, he gives them the gift of a prolonged life, an extended life. He says 15 years. I'm going to give you 15 years. That's the first gift. You know what the second one is? 
He gave Hezekiah the knowledge that he had 15 more years of life left. That's a gift. What are you going to do if God gives you the gift of, 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 knowing, of you knowing how long you're going to live? What would you do in those 15 years? That is, that is a gift, folks. First of all, he gives them the life of 15 years, and then he says, ah, that's how long you've, you've got. You know, he, he gave them 15 years to be wise. Don't you think? He gave him 15 years to be a wise king. He gave him 15 years to be motivated to walk right with his God. He gave Hezekiah 15 years to get his house in order. That's a gift. We know, and we've all probably had someone in our family, whether directly or indirectly, but somehow we've all known someone who has been told by the doctor, you have this much to live, this many, this many years to live, or these many days to live, or months, or weeks, or whatever. What are you going to do? As believers in Jesus Christ, well, we, we should know exactly what to do. Certainly we'll trust the Lord. We're not going to trust the doctor. We'll just trust the Lord. But, you know, if, if that's the case, you know, we can trust him for healing. If he wants to heal us, he can. But if he doesn't, you know, we've got to, we've got to look at those days as, as days that we cannot take for granted. What would we do with that kind of time if the Lord gave it to us personally and directly? If he came to you and said, I'm giving you 15 years, what are you going to do with that kind of time? A.W. Tozer writes this about this particular situation. He says, I would not want an extra 15 years in which to backslide and dishonor my Lord. I would rather go home right now than to live on if living was to be a waste of God's time in my own. And you know why he says that? He says that really based upon poor Hezekiah's 15 years, which we'll look at another time talk about a little bit in a moment but that's why he says this I would not want an extra 15 years in which to backslide and dishonor my Lord if I'm getting 15 years that I want to honor him and I want to move toward him and I want to get others to come to him and I want everybody to know that there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ no matter what the world says Nothing, if we, if we truly look at the things that are, that are happening in this world, nothing is good that is happening no matter what man is trying to do, no matter all the good that men are trying to do. It never can compare to what happens when we come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if we only have this much time, what are we going to do with that time? And in the promises that God gave to Hezekiah, the one that spoke of prolonging his life would be the promise to confirm the promise of deliverance from the Assyrians. So one promise confirms the other. In other words, when Hezekiah recovered his health, he could be sure that the Lord would deliver him from the Assyrians. So one promise confirms the other. And now in 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah asks the Lord for a sign. 
You notice in Isaiah, we're not told that he's asked, but, but here in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 8, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? And by the way, the Lord, the Lord wasn't obligated in, uh, obligated in any way, shape, or form to give this sign. He wasn't obligated to give it. God doesn't have to give us signs. If God says something, He's going to do it. He doesn't have to give us signs. So He's not obligated to, in any way to give this sign. Certainly God would have been more than justified to have told Hezekiah, I said it, you believe it. <laughs> but isn't it wonderful when, when God gives us more than we need or deserve? Isn't it just great when God just gives us more than we need or deserve? <laughs> He shows us that same mercy. He shows us that same mercy. He, he only has to simply say to us that He loves us, but He does so much more. All God would have to do is say, I love you, but He does more than that, doesn't He? Isn't God great? Isn't God wonderful? Isn't God so good? God so loved the world, John 3.16 we all know it. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He could tell us He loves us, but He says, I want you to know more that if you believe, you'll, you'll, you'll not perish. That's a wonderful benefit of being loved by God. We'll not perish. We'll have everlasting life. It's more than just being loved by God. There's some people that go around saying, you know, God loves everybody in the world. Well, you know, God does love the world. But there's a problem. If we read John 3.16 very carefully, he says, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Perishing is going to happen to those who don't believe. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a benefit, you see. Well, God loves everybody in the world and everybody eventually is going to go to heaven. That's what I used to call years ago. Uh, we're talking maybe 20-some years ago. I used to call it Phil Donahue theology. Because uh, when Phil Donahue was on TV, now you say, who's Phil Donahue? Some guy with white hair that used to teach on TV. You know, or not teach, but you know, host a show on TV. Quite liberal in his thinking. But he used to believe that, you know. Well, Eventually, God's going to just let everybody into heaven, you know. Be nice. I mean, I would, wouldn't we like that, I think? Except for the ones that treated us bad. <laughs> everybody can come in except that guy. <laughs> not her. <laughs> Aren't you glad it's not up to us? Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. God doesn't just tell us He loves us. He does so much more. It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He does more than just tell us, tells us He loves us. He, he sent His Son to die for us. And then it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He does more than just tell us, he tells us He loves us. <laughs> All that because Hezekiah asked for a sign and God, 
God gave it to him. God gave him the sign. And that sign was a, was a miraculous sign. The sun returned 10 degrees on the dial. Now, uh, literally, the dial was the sun steps. So it is believed that this, there was a particular sundial that was created or, or, or made out of certain steps so that when the sun would, would, would shine uh, upon it, it gave people in, in, in the city or in the towns, they lived an, an opportunity to see what time of day it was. Uh, you know, I mean, they didn't have... Uh, Timex then you know they, they didn't have uh, all of the things that we have today you know to keep time you know it's interesting there's so many we all, we all have so many watches and we're still late think about what you got right now some of you got watches and a phone and that phone has this automatic, you know, this atomic clock type set. set of, so, I mean, we're, we're right on with, with, with time in this nation. I mean, we are, we are right to the second if, you, if your phone uh, has time on it. So you got the watch and you got the time. And then, you, you know, if you got a page or something that's also set by that. So you got all these things. And then what? What time is it? It cracks me up, man. What time is it? Well, look at your watch, you know. And Tootie's and, and up there telling me what time it is. I'm really late, so let's get moving here. Anyway, so there was this, this sundial that let people know what time it is, you know. and Not so much in, in, in hours or whatever, but just, you know, degrees of time. And so they had something visible so that if, let's say, the shadow was coming as the sun's going down, the shadow's going up. And then God moved it back. Whoa! Ten degrees. Whatever that measurement was, it was moved back ten degrees. God made the shadow of the sundial move backwards giving more time in the day. And this was to actually coincide with the fact that the Lord gave Hezekiah more time in his life. And the significant thing is that we don't know how this miracle was accomplished. And why should we bust our brains trying to figure it out? I mean, you know, you get on the internet and people say, well, you know, there's, there's, this happened this way and this happened that way. And then you could tie it into the Joshua thing with, the, you know, this... The sun doing what it had to do, and what you know. But you know, we don't know. I don't know. And if you say, "Well, it's not rocket science," I said it might be, because how many of us know rocket science? Look at there. Nobody went raised their hands. We don't know. Here's a good reason. Isaiah 55 verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my, your ways my ways. And turn it around. My ways aren't your ways either, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Can you understand God's ways? I, I don't. We, we can certainly try to understand His word as, as best as we can as we go through uh, our studies through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us wisdom to understand how to live our lives in, in the Lord. But there's just some things we're never going to understand. Verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Who counsels God? Nobody has to. Or who has first given to Him, and it shall be repaid to Him? For of Him and through Him and to, all, and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. We don't, there's no answer to that. Well, no, God, 
God has the power. You know, He created the heavens and the earth. He created the sun. He knows how to, hey, He holds it all in His hand. Ten degrees is nothing for God to take it back. To give ten more degrees of time, as it were. You see, you see the understanding here? It, it's nothing for God to give Hezekiah 15 more years. It is nothing for God to give Hezekiah 15 more years. So, that's over with. And now Hezekiah comments in regards to the healing that he received from the Lord. Isaiah 38, verses 9-14. through 14. Let's read the whole passage here and then we'll kind of get a basic understanding here. This is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah. When he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness, I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. I want you to notice that, that he's going to go from, from this uh, kind of an attitude of complaint to one of, of, of praise to God. So he's just writing this out uh, when, when he had been sick and recovered. So you're understanding that he's giving you his heart here. And so you, you may even see your own heart in, in, in this. In the prime of my life, he says, I shall go to the gates of Sheol, in other words, to death. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. I, say, uh, I said, I shall not see Yah the Lord. In the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. And he's pointing out the things, you know, if he dies, these things aren't going to happen anymore. I won't see the Lord in the land of the living. You know, I, I, I will observe no man. Uh, 12, verse 12 says, My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's uh, tent. I have cut off my like like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. You know, in other words, as, as, as some, something is made on, on a weaver's loom, you know, just cut off. So it's, it's, it's over. It's done. The weaving. From day until night you make an end of me. Verse 13, I have considered until morning. Like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night you make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow, so I chattered. I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward, O Lord. I am oppressed. And then he says, undertake for me. That's an interesting statement. Undertake for me. You ever heard of an undertaker? Wow. Undertake for me. Interesting thought. It has to be stated that this meditation from Hezekiah describes for us what he felt during his experience of illness and recovery. Haven't we all had some new experiences that made us better people? Think about the question. Haven't we all had some new experiences that made us better people? The Lord had given Hezekiah a new appreciation for life. As he's faced with death, he begins to realize, there's things I'm not going to see anymore. There's people I'm not going to see anymore. And because of the Hebrew mindset of that time, go to Sheol, you don't see God anymore, the works of God anymore. You see, that's something that we take for granted. We take for granted until it is about to be taken from us. When it's going to be taken from us, are we going to appreciate it a lot more? And then we cling to it as long as we can? Do you ever think, ever wonder about older people? I should talk. So I'm not putting an age here, okay? 
But older people, just, you know, in their, in, in, their, in their life, when they know they're coming close to an end, that they start talking about the past, and they start recounting stories, and they start remembering poems, and they start remembering things in their life, things that happened long ago. And, and in a way, they're, they're chronicling, they're giving us things in their life about the things that we ought not to remember, or I should say, we ought not to forget about them. You, you know what I am talking about here. Don't look at me like... I know you're all young. And I'm not talking about me, okay? So, But do you, do you understand when they sit and they talk this way, what it is about life? They're beginning to take issue with, you know, this thing about maybe in their lives having taken things for granted for so long. Now you can't take them for granted any longer. Hezekiah saw death as an end of a journey. Verses 11 and 12. It's a tent taken down. It's a weaving cut from the weaver's loom. And his life was hanging by a thread. Whatever was weaved was almost complete and just one thread left. Once it's cut, it's gone. Now, now Old Testament saints knew that the Lord would be with them in the grave, but they didn't know how. They didn't know how. They really did not understand how God would be with them in the grave. But they knew. In other words, death was an uncertain place for them. Death was uncertain to them. They had faith. They trusted that God would be with them, but they just didn't know how. Psalm 139, verse 8. David says, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. So they knew that God could be there. But think about this, Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So there is that uncertainty of death. I can tell you this, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to be worried about. We don't have to be uncertain about death. We know one thing, that if we die, we will be with the Lord. If we die, we will be in His presence. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul said. So there is no uncertainty for us. But in the Old Testament, even Old Testament saints had that bit of uncertainty. So for the person who is unsure of their salvation or is far from God in their sins, it is time now to come to know the Savior because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says this, We then as workers together with Him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That now is now. For those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know Him. You need to receive Him as Lord. You need to trust in Christ 
You need to trust that He died for your sins, that He, that he shed His blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And you need to believe that He rose from the dead. Because the Bible says that those who believe these things confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their hearts that He's risen from the dead will be saved. Saved from that uncertainty. Saved from sin. Saved from death. Saved from that punishment, as it were. Saved from that perishing that is spoken of in John 3.16. Secondly, the Lord gave Hezekiah a new appreciation of prayer. Look at verses 13 and 14. I have considered until morning. Like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night you make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow, so I chattered. I mourn like a dove. My, my eyes fail from looking upward. Oh Lord, I'm oppressed. Undertake for me. I mean, you know, there's this, this appreciation now of praying unto God, even to the point of not understanding, but saying, but God, you, you undertake for me. Hezekiah would have never made it without prayer. Hezekiah would have never made it without prayer. Folks, that same goes for us. We will not make it unless we pray. We will not make it through these days and times in which we live unless we pray. Unless we're connected to the Lord God in in prayer and to Jesus, Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hezekiah felt like a weak, fragile animal attacked by a lion in the evening. In the day, he felt like a helpless bird. I mean, there was certainly that bondage of the fear of death, even in someone who trusted in God. This is what uh, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 16. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. I, I included that so you'll know that this is something that they in the Old Testament, you know, had had that fear of, which is the fear of death. Again, because of the uncertainty. Because we know Jesus Christ today, who died for our sins, who came to destroy Him who had the power of death, we are certain then that the death of the body is not the death of the person. But the person who is in Christ will live on in Christ. Again, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And how different it's going to be if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 58. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Death is swallowed up in victory because of Jesus Christ. Lastly, and I'm I'm doing this very quickly, Hezekiah gained a new appreciation for service and the opportunities that come with it. Verses 15 through 20. This is the section of thanksgiving now. What shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. Isn't that wonderful? God has spoken and He has done it. God has promised and He has done it. And, and it shall walk, I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. So You will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace 
that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Isn't that a beautiful statement? You have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The Father shall make known your truth to the children. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. You see, we see a renewed humility in his life. It humbles us when we consider the power that the Lord has of life and death. It humbles us. We see also in him a greater love for the Lord in his heart. He begins to appreciate God even more. And then he says a new song of praise is going to be upon his lips. The appreciation of the love of God that we can express to him in worship. I mean, this all adds up to a new determination to praise God in all that we do, all the days of our lives. Teach us to make the most of our time for you. That's what it means when it says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to make the most of our time for you. Teach us to make the most of every minute that we have in this life for God. This was a prayer of thanksgiving, and it shouldn't be, uh, and shouldn't this be the pattern for the end of our days? Shouldn't this be the same pattern? Psalm 23. We're all familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Yet in verses 4 through 6 it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How long? All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the days of my life. That is the focus of every believer in Jesus Christ, that we live our lives all the days of our life for Him. Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. All the days. Now see, what days do we have left? The ones that are before us, not the ones that are past. Forgetting what is behind, let us press on toward what is ahead. Let us press on forward. Why? Because we can't go back. Now for Hezekiah, God proved that he could give him more life. But in what direction? In his future. Now, to close, did Hezekiah use his extra 15 years wisely? Three years later, his son Manasseh was born, and he reigned for 55 years. The most wicked king in the entire dynasty, Manasseh. Hezekiah himself had a lot of pride issues. But some say that had Hezekiah died without an heir, this wouldn't have happened. There's a lot of presumption in that. Well, if if Hezekiah hadn't given birth to Manasseh, well, you know, this wouldn't have happened. But my question to you is, is there any guarantee that any other successor would have been better? Do we know? 
Manasseh's grandson. Manasseh's grandson was the godly king Josiah. No Manasseh, no Josiah. See why we can't presume upon God? Josiah did a lot to bring the nation back to the Lord. Manasseh himself would later repent and, and serve the Lord. So, so we ought to be careful not to second-guess God or even history for that matter. I said, well, if he hadn't done this, well. We hope that people don't sin. We hope that people finish well the race that is set before us. Hezekiah had 15 good years, but he didn't live 15 good years. And that's the tragedy, that's the sadness here. Lastly, in the last two verses, really, is just the healing part of, of Hezekiah when it says, Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil, and he shall recover. And Hezekiah had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So it was just a medical treatment that the Lord used to heal Hezekiah. And so in that three things, prayer, medicine, and God's work, it happens today too. Prayer, medicine, God's work. God chose this as, as the medicine for Hezekiah. But the heart requires a different kind of medicine. Really, we need to be committed to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord. Dedicated to Him because of the things that He's already done for us through Jesus Christ. I hope it awakens us today that none of us can truly say, well, as it says in the book of James, tomorrow I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Because the reality is that we might not go here and go there because we might be called home. We don't know that. But are we ready? And in the time being, in the time that we are living here for the Lord Jesus Christ, are we living for Him? Are we living unto Him? Are we doing everything we can to show the love of Christ to the lost? To bring them to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus? Hezekiah had a wonderful opportunity. He had 15 years. He made, I mean, God made it so clear. You have 15 years. What will you do if God said today, I'm giving you 15 years. What will you do? I hope and pray you'll live it unto the Lord. As if you only have 15, day, 15 minutes. Let's get right with God. He's coming. Let's pray.